a new challenger approaches. Howdy, partner. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have officially added a fourth on to... What episode is this? Eight? I think this is our eighth episode. Uh, ninth. We had a three of an odd number. We b- three books plus the first oh. one. In ten. Eleventh. Damn. Eleventh? That's not true. Yeah, we had three books. I'll fact check that. Yeah, we can fact check. We got time to fact check. We're going to fact check right now. I was doing three episodes per book. That's the math I was doing. Now that we've introduced the new challenger, we're already getting a fight or into a fight about our own podcast. This is the eighth. So you guys don't know what episode this is. I think Brian might have originally said the eighth, and then it all arose. I'm liking the balance right are. here. I'm liking yeah. the balance. I don't like this. Sorry. Patriarchy Sorry. is alive Get and well. Get on out. Get on out. <laughs> Welcome back to Beer Time with Books. Today is our special iteration of Beer Time with Books and Wine, uh, as we've done before. <laughs> this might be our second Beer Time with Books and Wine. So episode, Let's give that episode a fact. Two. <laughs> God. I have wine a lot. <laughs> okay. Much. So um, so what we're going to do here so we can make sure that our uh, new member gets a time to introduce himself. We're going to go around as we normally do, introduce ourselves, and say what we're drinking. Perfect. Hi, I'm Jamie. I am drinking a beer that I'm not a fan of right now. Mm. Uh, Free State Brewery, which is in Lawrence, Kansas. Which Howdy is where partner. Andrew was at. It's where our guest is from. Symbolism. Um, and symbolism. it's the Ad Astra Amber Ale, um, which I normally like an Amber Ale, but I'm, I'm really not enjoying this very much. I think that it's not hmm. carbonated hmm. well enough. Hashtag, where's the bubbles? This yeah. was from the Make Your Own Six Pack, so who knows what they Ooh, do. When they, they actually they can shake them around. beers on, like, oh, it's really? true. It's not a conspiracy. Wow. It's real. Well, I'm going to sue. Okay, my name is Andrew, um, and tonight I am drinking a Sweetwater Mango Kush Wheat Ale. Um, It's the 420 strain. (laughs) Brian picked it up at the local beer store, and boy, it does smell a lot like wheat. Yes, it does. It kind of just tastes like a beer, though, for the record. Yeah, it does. Has anybody not tried it? No, we had it last weekend. Danny was over with uh, her friend, and... Especially if you get, like, a whiff by the nose, like... He sat down and breathed, mm, and I yeah, was like, that's it. what have you Danny straight doing? up yeah. thought that he just took a toke <laughs> in the corner of our house and just like, walked back over room. and just like, what's up, guys? Let's play a game. That's what I it felt like. That's great. But it's good. It's good. It's great beer. Yeah. It's new. I only got it at the time. What I've been doing with the Choose Your Own Six Pack is whatever six pack box I get, mm-hmm. I have to get that beer. So mm-hmm. at the time, I picked that, and that was the one. Yeah. So I will say, though, that Jamie pointed out that there are weird floaties in it. That's a fact. There's a lot of weird floaties. It comes with... Yeah. It looks a little gelatinous. With, yeah. yeah. They, they weren't expecting you to pour that in a glass. That's suppose the not. Kush. That's the Kush sure. at the bottom, 420 strain, and next. Hashtag the Kush at the bottom. <laughs> the Kush at the bottom. <laughs> um, I'm Danny. Um, I'm drinking a... I'm the wine part of this pod most of the time. Beer. Um, with books and I'm wine. drinking a... <laughs> I'm drinking a um, buttery, creamy, <laughs> La Crema <Jeez>. Chardonnay. <laughs> And I'm Brian. I'm drinking New Belgium 1554, mm. just like the wines that are normally aged, like, you know, 2016. This is from 1554. Oh, man. What an this aging is a old, process that's Is it been. bubbly? This is an old, old beer. <laughs> surprisingly. <laughs> surprisingly. No floaties, so. <laughs> you don't know that. I can recommend that. Somehow. No bubblies. Almost half a millennia, no bubblies. <laughs> Perfect. And also, as we normally do at the beginning of the pod, we're going to go around since it, uh, our last episode got posted kind of late, so we're actually having a little bit of a short window between last episode and now, but there is a lot of ground to cover, but we're going to talk about uh, some other media we've been consuming since the last episode. Um, the obvious media that I have consumed is the finale of Game of Thrones. Which I'm was... Not- Last night. It was last night. Which we all watched together. I don't know why Jamie just made that it. about herself. I wasn't here, but they watched it together. I mean, the one. Yeah. I went first, so. Um, I don't, I'm not going to say a lot about that, because whatever. Um, Andrew hasn't seen it. Also, whatever. That's spoiler, how I feel about spoiler. it, is whatever. Uh, other media that I have consumed as of late. Uh, 
I don't know. A podcast that I'm constantly listening to, but I don't know that I've actually ever mentioned on our pod is um, not another D and D podcast. You haven't mentioned that. I on don't our think podcast. I have. That's crazy. Um, it's my favorite podcast, and I love it very much. Um, but right now they're in a a story arc that is very exciting to me. It's very spooky, scary, and well, what is it about? The the podcast, yeah, for people general. that don't know. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, know. it's it's a Dungeons and Dragons campaign done by a bunch of goofy comedians that used to be on College Humor. Oh, um, that's kind of fun. So there's four of them: Dungeon Master, Murph, and then uh, three players. And the it's called not another D and D podcast because it's like the premise of the the campaign that they're on is that it's the campaign after the campaign so the world that they're playing in has technically already been saved by the heroes um Mm. but they are there to fix like the logistical problems that came up from that i respect that (laughs) you always hear the fantasy stories of like the big bang happens what happens after that what's left i mean it's like they over like the the heroes had to like overthrow a bunch of powers and then like puppet powers get put in you know yeah so our heroes are coming in after the real heroes politics trying to solve all the other little things and then it gets they find out that like the old heroes were kind of corrupt and it's a whole thing but it's really great storytelling um like genuine master class storytelling i love it so much so that's what i've been listening to nice Andrew, nice. Not since the last podcast. I know. What's a recent a recent media you've been between the last my birth and this episode? (laughs) Um, I have been throw us some highlights (laughs) (laughs) highlights of your media consumption in the last twenty five years. I have been re-listening to Serial. Actually, the the podcast that came out like a long time ago. Which season? uh, The first one. That's the I didn't watch past or listen past there. Um, because I was kind of into that plot line a whole lot and I thought they were going to keep doing it until like the next ones because mm-hmm. I was really late on the train and like new season two existed before I even started and then it was a different plot altogether. You know fun. there's a HBO mini doc series regarding a- about season one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well it's not the same people but like it's right. about the same guy. Yeah I didn't yeah. know that and that's actually I need to get that. I think it's like specifics. four four episodes cool. or something is very I'll, short. I want that because yeah. that was great. I loved that so much like that was one of my, that was like the first podcast I think I ever listened to so mm-hmm. I'm like re-listening to it just for the sake that of. That was an OG podcast. Yeah it was as man. As far as it like blazing the trail. It, yeah. <laughs> making it mainstream <clears throat> for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. So that, and then I've been like watching really goofy television, like rewatching The Office for like the third time that I've watched <laughs> it. Um, I did watch a couple episodes of something that was a Netflix original on Netflix. It's like Two Fish, and it looks like it's animated by the same people as BoJack Horseman. I forget the name of it. Uh, Tuka and Tuka yes, and something. Yes, I so. already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're that's right. Uh-huh. That's right. <laughs> Hell yeah! I have not. Hell yeah! Hell yeah. <laughs> I have not watched it. Yeah, I watched I a couple episodes. It I want to watch it because I like yeah, Bojack it's, a lot. It definitely seems like it's it's different from Bojack in like distinct ways, that, and I'm glad because mm-hmm. I didn't want to feel like it was the same universe. But it seems like it's like I don't know similar enough to where I think like the thoughtful humor and like the deeper message type stuff might come out. Obviously, I've only watched two episodes. So we'll see. But and Bojack was a slow burn at the beginning, also. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Got to get that slow burn for the real plot, mm-hmm. and I'm hopeful. So. From birth to here. Nice. <laughs> Neat. Uh-huh. Um, I am listening. So I also listen to Not Another D&D podcast um, per Jamie's recommendation. But I'm 25 episodes behind, which is approximately 60 hours of oh podcast behind. Yeah, and I am caught up. I, I have listened wow. to all of I it. I recently started listening to the episodes at one and a half speed, which really has helped me a lot because I look at the timing and it says this episode's going to be an hour and 47 minutes, and I have a heart attack when I see that timestamp. Oh, the longer it is, the more excited I am. <laughs> I genuinely, I'm like, oh, it's two hours? I'm buckling in. It's I, going I down. Going down. It stresses me out so much. I'm like kind of 45 minutes or bust with podcasts, but I do really like it. <laughs> Um, it took me a long time to get into it, but I listened to that. I'm just super far behind. Um, but I also love the storytelling, and I never thought that I would understand or be interested in a Dungeons and Dragons podcast or anything. Okay, but. have both of you played Dungeons and Dragons? No. 
right. So that's. <laughs> I so guess that's, that's my only question. So no further what, questions. No further questions, Your Honor. Um, that's why I also was when Jamie yeah. like forced this podcast upon me. I was like, but I have never. Well, here's the thing. Listened okay, I, or played for a long time now. Have listened to a podcast um, called "If I Were You," which is two comedians from uh, College Humor, Jake and Amir. That that's their podcast, and Jake then started this D and D podcast with other people. So oh, like okay. he they he kept talking about it on If I Were You, and he had never played. No, D&D he had never ever. played D and D. He was so just it like, is entertaining to like, see. My him. friends wanted me to do this, so we're doing a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. And I really like Jake, so I was like, I'll listen to it. I'll try it. Yeah. And it's That's great. So weird. And now she's subscribes to their Patreon and listens to <laughs> extra every episode. episode. Extra podcast they that they do Patreon about episodes. the podcast. <laughs> Genuinely. Oh and she God. re-listens to episodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I pay $5 a month to listen to an oh, yeah, extra podcast where they talk about the podcast. That is wild. And I don't care i don't feel any shame about that now i get why you were so insistent that danny joined so you could like have real conversation yeah, with real we, humans danny's, about it instead danny's of paying five dollars a month is way more interested in it than danny is yeah, so i got, oh, okay, I got so will you, okay. interested in it but gotcha. then because per jamie but then he listened to it all so now he and jamie are at the same point and i'm still behind and he's gonna go see it live he's they, going to headgum live, live on june 14th instead of helping me move into no. my new apartment he's coming the next weekend but still Anyway, D and D, it up. He loves it. Um, Good. So I am also listening to that, but I also listened recently listened to a podcast by one of my favorite freelance journalists named Anne Friedman. Um, she created a podcast called Going Through It, and it's twelve episodes, and in each one she interviews um, just I think just people she knows, people in her life who had to make a really big decision. Like it was kind of like just asking people about the turning points in their lives and like. They, they had two choices and they picked one way and like what they were thinking and how they feel about it now and um, it's across the board um, and it's really interesting I really liked it it's, it's also encouraging because it kind of makes yeah. you feel like no matter what you choose you can't choose the wrong like whatever you choose is not the wrong thing um, so I really like that um, podcast and um, also Game of Thrones but you know <laughs> Whatever. 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 Um, I have been listening to... This is the thing I started since our last podcast, but it doesn't seem like that because I've listened to so many episodes of this, but it's Time Crisis. Um, I'm a TC TC head. Hashtag TC head. I'm a TC head for sure. So here's the weird thing about it is it's not technically a podcast. Like They make it very clear that it's internet radio, quote-unquote. Because, like, you can't download the episodes. So it's all through Apple Music, and normally it is actually live. Like, Apple mm-hmm. Music has Beats 1 Radio, and all of these different artists have show. Like, Pharrell has a show. Frank Ocean has a show. Uh, Josh Homme of Queens of the Stone Age has a show. Like, a bunch of these artists have shows, and it all goes through a schedule. And then the one that I'm listening to, it's Ezra Koenig of Vampire Weekend and the younger brother <laughs> of the main guy of Dirty Projectors. And it's I like it a lot being on Apple Music because anytime they play music, it pops up on your phone immediately because it's all tied to the platform. So, like, you don't have to search for it. It's just like, boom, here it is. And they also make the songs flow into whatever they're talking about really well. So if they're talking about, like, recently they went on a long tangent about uh, Doritos or Fritos, it was just a casual, like, do you prefer Doritos or Fritos? And then Ezra told Jake to go look into, like, more things about the Pepsi Co. company. And he figured out this huge conspiracy eventually <laughs> saying that Richard Nixon used to be the lawyer for Pepsi Co. And they had a production plant in Chile that they were like, <laughs> we're getting ridiculous. cheap, we're getting cheap, what? like ability to produce stuff. And then Chile was going to be like, we're not going to have anybody like foreign produce any products in our country. Mm-hmm. So Nixon sent in forces for a coup on the government to make sure through conspiracy that that plant would stay open because he had ties to the PepsiCo CEO. 
And this is something that they just talked about <laughs> casually on Time Crisis because they were like, look up stuff about Fritos and Doritos. He's like, oh, guys, for, it, it gets for deep. For those of you it's listening, dark. Brian is standing at a whiteboard. and um, <laughs> Nixon's here. There are strings everywhere. And he's drawing. There's maps involved. Oh, my God. Red he circles. looks a little crazed. It's so funny. The corporate, His eyes are dilated. The, the corporate food segments that they do for some reason that's now become a big part of the show the corporate food segments are hilarious mm. and usually pretty um insightful so time crisis and then yeah game of thrones all i'll say is i'm waiting for the books on a book podcast i feel okay being that I'm guy waiting i'm waiting for the books hashtag Girl. waiting for the books hashtag not another D podcast is better than game of thrones oh, oh shit <laughs> that is hot, hot take. take hot take right now whoa <laughs> oh all right. I don't know uh, if I agree or disagree because I haven't seen either. Let's talk about Blue Beard. Okay. That's right. So, uh, yeah, for today's episode, we're kind of in an in-between section here because what we had originally planned on the podcast is the three main hosts, me and Jamie and Danny, we're all going to choose a book at the beginning, and then we were going to do seven total. So there's a fourth book that's going to segment those seven we may go past that but it's just so we are staying motivated to do a certain number well yeah i mean (laughs) i'm kind of down at this point but we're doing a middle one so andrew you've joined us for this one and uh you're gonna be our fourth commenter for bluebeard you're actually leading the discussion yeah surprise i'm not gonna do that (laughs) (laughs) but but the reason that we chose bluebeard in this instance is that we all have a pretty significant history with kurt vonnegut this isn't something that we've all read just one book i think all of us have read at least two if not at least three um there's just been a lot of previous history with us and this author and we've talked about on the podcast in the in the past it's jamie's favorite author we have a ton of his books over here we have a a picture of him we We have have a a portrait of him on our bookshelf we have a prayer candle of him Um, at your classroom classroom yeah um oh that's awesome but but i just kind of (laughs) that was from me i just kind of wanted to start out the discussion um just kind of looking at what your previous experiences have been with Vonnegut and how you think that Bluebeard so far is kind of tied into what you'd normally come to expect from Kurt Vonnegut? Because I think it's pretty interesting. Having read a lot of his stuff, obviously there are some KV tropes, but I think that a lot of them have unique qualities, and I think that this one does as well. So Mm. if anybody wants to start with that. Hmm. The thing that I was thinking about a lot as re- while reading this is I it's been a minute since I've read a Vonnegut book like Brian said he's my favorite author and I still stand by that but also the last time I finished a Kurt Vonnegut book was I uh, maybe two years ago mm-hmm. it's been a while how many do you um, think you've read do you do you have like a rough estimate so maybe six just out of curiosity mm-hmm. um um, but the thing that I was thinking about a lot is how how often his narrators are themselves writing a book. Mm-hmm, like, I feel like true. that happens more often than not in his stories. And I like it. Like, I, I, I like the, the fourth wall being broken a lot in mm-hmm. Bluebeard of him being like, well, I'm writing my book now. And uh, so-and-so has read this much of it. And she said yeah. this. Over my shoulder. It's so yeah. wild. Yeah. Yeah. She's it's reading like, over my shoulder and told me to change this. It's <laughs> the most acceptable and like easy to read fourth wall breaking ever. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. sometimes you get caught up and you're like, whoa, who's the audience? Where am I at in this? But it's such an interesting layout specifically. This well, book. it makes sense because he's like specifically he's saying yeah. I'm typing it totally, right now. Totally. Like, instead of just being. It's well, a really yeah. creative. Like, I like it's it. fun that he did. I love metafiction. Like mm-hmm. that. That's generally what it's called when that happens. I love it. Most metafictional uh storytelling mm-hmm. that's a thought that i had yeah there you go Other that's thoughts. cool yeah i was gonna say similarly i was looking at it and just trying to i mean you kind of like segued right into it is why this is specifically relevant is because i was reading today and i was thinking about that it's fun that he always has a couple different plots going mm-hmm. and like in slaughterhouse five it can be like popping all over the place and like just there's so many different novels of his that i've read because Jamie got me, well, I don't know if it was Jamie or Brian, but them as a combined marital force. Dunn <laughs> got me addicted to Kurt Vonnegut. That's right. With the... <laughs> but anyway, so they kind of got me into it. And I would say in the last year, I think I've read six Kurt Vonnegut books. Have you really? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, read Slaughterhouse he's Five, Cat's Cradle, Jailbird, Slapstick. This one I'm halfway through, and probably another big one that I didn't say. Maybe I've read more than that. I know you have. That, when you said six, I was like, I've read six. I don't know. That sounds. You've read Mother Night. I don't. I don't need to list all of them. Yeah, you, That's don't, you don't. It is That's boring. boring radio. Boring cast. Boring cast. Um, but anyway. <laughs> I was what was fun yeah I was noticing just like how it's different that he has multiple plots going at the same time but he still does and like in one book it's someone's time traveling but in this one it's like he's just going between what he's writing and then you're like in his narrative and then you're like you know some of the conflict that happens really affects the narrative and then he talks about how it's been two months since this has happened or Mm -hmm. that and so that was really fun interested to see how it all like continued on for sure so I read Slaughterhouse Five probably after high school because Jamie told me that Vonnegut was her favorite author. But Vonnegut is probably one of the only authors who's, like, who I don't love, who's, what am I trying to say? (laughs) I've read more Vonnegut books than I have any other author author who I don't really love. Mm -hmm. Like, I've read, I think this is my fourth Vonnegut novel. I feel like I'm still trying to like yeah. him i don't yeah. dislike him but i just i don't know mm-hmm. i i don't I'm, i don't feel like i have a great feel for his voice after reading the ones that i have read um so i don't know i it kind of feels a little bit like a mystery to me but i like mm-hmm. um but i'm i don't know i'm enjoying it yeah i thought too because i just finished slapstick mm-hmm. and that was one too that was very like <clears throat> like metafiction and was very like i'm writing about things that are going on and then it pop here and there so it's especially interesting reading those side by side because he does have a distinctly different voice in this book than that book. And that's kind of fun. I mean, obviously, he describes his physical appearance. So you're kind of like you already know it's a different thing. But he has like totally different worldview, <laughs> totally different like way he interacts with people. And I thought that was kind of cool, too, because yeah. it was very similar, like like plot wise or how it was being written wise. Yeah, sure. Exactly. I, I like with his voice within his tendency to employ metafiction that he still finds unique ways to do it because in this one, obviously, um, is it Rabo or Rabo? I was saying Rabo in my head. I said Rabo. Really? I think I said Rabo. Okay. Um, I think it would be Rabo if there were two Bs. Rabo. Sure. So Raybo, so Raybo's the one telling telling his own story. But in some of his other novels, for instance, like Slaughterhouse Five, he's writing as well. Kurt Vonnegut's in that. It, it's not necessarily the author in there, but he's like in his own novel. Sometimes it's him writing it anyway. I think he writes the, something the at famous, the very beginning. The famous author Kilgore Trout, right? And Kilgore Trout, stuff like that. So and like he's everywhere. So, but he finds ways to insert himself. Sometimes he finds ways to have the other characters. Um, tell their own story. Uh, I think for me, I've read five of his novels. I read one full book of his graduation uh, graduation commencement speeches, which mm-hmm. I really liked, and then one short story that he did, a uh, collection for NPR. It was a bunch mm-hmm. of these short stories that he read on air. Um, and I God really like that. Dr. Kevorkian. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. And you could read that. I read it in an hour, I'm pretty sure. It was really quick, and I like it a lot. Um, but the thing that I noticed with this specifically is that this novel seemed or seems so far to be a little bit more sober than a lot of his other books because a lot of them even though they still tackle serious subject matter they do so in a way that's kind of absurd Mm -hmm. like cat's cradle i think always every chapter Mm -hmm. seemed like an absolute like Mm -hmm. home run of a joke because each one had a title and then he'd always lead up God, to the title so at the end cute. of every single chapter. And then, like, Slaughterhouse-Five, there's a lot of these, you know, aliens are coming in and time travel. So, like, all the horrific stuff seems to be, like, kind of pushed to the side. This one, I don't feel like – it still carries a similar structure of, like, short chapters and short sections. But it doesn't seem like these sections are just setups for jokes necessarily, mm-hmm. uh, at least from what it seemed to me so far. And I, I, I kind of like – having that other side and from what i saw this is a bit later on in his um body of work uh than some of the other more famous novels that he's written and so i kind of like that his voice maybe has developed into something more serious after all that Mm -hmm. time but it it also still is very different because like i'm Mm -hmm. used to kurt vonnegut really Mm -hmm. just like i think i have a quote here 
uh, that he had said or claimed that his books are essentially mosaics made up of a whole bunch of tiny chips, and each chip is a joke, like referring to his short <laughs> sections. Yeah. But I don't get that sense here. So it's like it seems to me to be a really different experience this time around. Yeah, I feel like this is the least like that of all of his books that I've read. It reads a little more like a novel, mm-hmm. like yeah. like a, like a. It's not so choppy mm-hmm. to me. Mm. Yeah. So do we want to explain then, uh, if anybody wants to volunteer, uh, a bit of a summary of what's happened so far? And we can kind of piece it together. Yeah. Uh, well, together. Where did we begin? Yeah. Let's talk I, about where we begin. Let's see. Rabo Karabikian is our uh, narrator and our main character. Um, in the present, he is living in a house, his his wife has died his second wife and he's alone in a house where he has like a giant collection of art mm-hmm. um it's worth millions of dollars and but he used to be an artist but he's not anymore and he's just like kind of like an old sad lonely he's also, guy also a veteran he's also mm-hmm. a veteran yeah he has one eye one eye he <laughs> has one eye mm-hmm. um and then he On the wall he meets this woman randomly he like lives on a beach he has a private beach and she wanders in and he meets her um whose name for some reason i can't remember. cersei berman cersei berman yes i remember because i kept i was like i don't know if cersei is right but i had been watching game of thrones so that's how i pronounced <laughs> it in my head um i don't know if that's right i don't care cersei <laughs> berman um and then she convinces him to write a book and so that's kind of like the plot of this book is like she told me to write an autobiography so here I am, mm-hmm. writing an autobiography. And she really seems to be a drifter also. Just like, yeah. kind of just shows up and decides to live here. Met him on the beach. Yeah, like. and is like, hey, I'm going to come in for dinner, and then I think I'm going to stay with you. But also, she's like a millionaire, mm-hmm. because she has published millions of books. But no <laughs> wonder, of what, what is the name? It's Molly something? Polly Madison. Or Polly Madison. Yeah, Polly, yeah. Madison. Yeah. Molly Patterson. Like young adult <laughs> popular books she has sold. Right. Um so then he starts telling us about his childhood um, and his family. They're Armenian. Mm-hmm. Um, and his parents almost died in the Armenian genocide, both of them. But then they. Well, one did. Didn't his mother? His parents? No. Did, didn't his mother? The, his I mom, thought they bo- she, both got no, out in different ways. Oh, right, right, right. Because they were going to try to move because mm-hmm. they sold her they jewelry. Both moved to the night, yep. She was just States. under all the dead bodies. Yeah, yeah. she was under yeah. the dead bodies. And had the jewels that mm-hmm. fell out of the woman's mouth. Yeah. Dad, Which was very particular. I was so confused was, well, at first. I was like, why? I love how her, her moral standing is like, if they were still in her mouth, I didn't take <laughs> I didn't them. Take them. <laughs> but if they fell out, then. They were mine. We're good to go. Um. So they survived that, and then they – there's a long, drawn-out history, but essentially somebody convinces them to move to California yep. on false hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they get there, and nothing is like what they were promised. And, and then and they got ripped out of money, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then his dad just, like, becomes a cobbler and is sad. Yeah. Um, Very cynical old cobbler. Mm-hmm. What else? Oh, he wants to be a painter, and then he becomes the... Like, apprentice. Apprentice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of- and that's big, because the guy... The only reason he gets to be the apprentice is because his parents are enthralled with this guy, because he's also Armenian. Yeah, mm-hmm. they think he's Armenian. Well, they think so. But then also, maybe he is, maybe he's not. We don't really get it. Gregorian... We have, it's not confirmed. We haven't gotten an answer. Dan Gregory. Gregory. Yeah, Dan Gregory. Gregory. They call him Gregorian. Um... And so he becomes his apprentice through a series of events. Um, his mistress gets pushed downstairs. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, there is. There's a whole lot. Um, and He's that's, just kind of like a crazy, like, he is just like the epitome of, like, crazy artist who has an attic studio and pushes his like you know maids and things down staircases like but he's artistic as they so as they do. right well, he's like a martyr for the art, for the art. Yeah. well that's the other important <clears throat> factor that because i don't think we've gotten to the end of this whole story but the the person you're referring to is actually somebody who got um Rabo the apprenticeship mm-hmm. in the first right. place this was somebody that was writing back and forth to him and yeah, she cersei blackmailed is, cersei is doing psychological yeah. uh analyzations of this woman through old mm-hmm. letters that she's creeping on through Rebo's yeah. mm-hmm. old collections of things. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's basically where we're at in his backstory. Uh, the most important thing in his present is that Cersei uh, has redecorated his home 
while he was gone. In a big way. In a big way. And it made him really pissed off and, and ruined a lot of friendships. Very upset. Way. Yeah. Well, and and so that's the thing. Um, one of the places that that leaves us. So Cersei's been very, you know, we've kind of gotten to the fact that she is very nosy. She wants to know a lot of mm-hmm. uh, parts of. Raybo's life. One of the big things is the potato barn mm-hmm. that we hadn't referred to, and that's which is that huge. Yeah, because yeah. you can kind of see where that's playing to. So we're we're looking at this book being called Bluebeard, and I I hadn't heard of this yeah. before, and it only gets mentioned one time within so yeah one time so far in the story, uh, but it's based on an old fairy tale or something like folk tale folk tale where this guy. Just basically is t- tells his first wife, don't look in this room. She does. He kills her, puts her in the room, and every other wife, he says, don't look in there. And because she saw the dead wife, he like, has well, to kill her too. Here we are. And that's what he says in relation to the- It's pe- a charming tale. It's a charming tale. <laughs> and, and so he brings up Bluebeard and then and relates it to his potato barn, but we mm-hmm. don't know exactly what's in there. We know right. that it housed him previously, but I don't know, like- Vonnegut being Vonnegut, where that's going to take us. But like, what are your guys' thoughts on the potato barn so far? So far, do you think that this is alluding to something that's going to wrap up of him being? It used to be his studio, right? It used to be his studio. He used to live there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to live there, and then wasn't it it like shortly after his second wife died, he just locked it up and was like, "Screw it," and went back and just lived in the main house. That's the plot. Okay, I. I certainly don't know what's in there, but I think that obviously this back, I think that the backstory with Gregory is going to lead into like alluding to what's in the barn or helping us to understand what's in the barn. I don't know if it'll happen from the present. Um, I mean, it might be a culmination and it might come to a head potentially, but Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that definitely this backstory obviously plays into it. Otherwise it would not be in the story. (laughs) Beautiful. But yeah, that's kind of my thought. Um, it's it's smaller than Jupiter and larger than like a toaster oven or something like that. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what he said. <laughs> that's all I know about what's in the barn. Yeah. That's my best guess. It's medium sized. I'm just curious knowing <laughs> knowing Vonnegut's like past of what he writes about, if it's going to be that easy that the potato barn is going to be enough to cause like Raybo to be a blue beard esque character, right? Because um, I don't. I mean, he does clarify there are no dead bodies. Yeah, he sure. he does specifically say, but same but with same with like Bluebeard though. Leading, I feel like that's same with Bluebeard at the beginning. Yeah. A joke though, like at the end. I know that too, and like, I'm always like, what if it's they're just... not dead bodies? They're just there's a punchline somewhere. <laughs> but <laughs> I feel like we're gonna be like, oh, this I most fell for somber it. book just comes to one. Not like as a, Danny hates Vonnegut. Not like as a joke. I always oh, feel. I fell for it again. Vonnegut. Oh, I feel. Vonnegut makes me feel that way. That's true. He does it on purpose. Or like something stupid. Like it's just know. gonna be empty. I don't know. Like like Cersei's gonna. Kill him and then open the barn and it's going to be empty. Oh. This is what I so think Vonnegut is. What if he kills him and then opens the potato? She puts him in the yeah, potato and it is a bunch she's... of his old wives. But then she's like, "Now nah, you're in there, bitch." <laughs> Tables <laughs> turned. She's fine. Okay, let's clarify. <laughs> he does have two. He old, had two wives. Two wives. One of them still alive. All oh, yeah. I'm saying is, if he's lying about a allegedly. A, a, potato barn full of dead bodies he can lie about how many partners he's had is my thought <laughs> that's all i'm saying that's that is a fair that's a fair, that is a fair assumption i feel like we're assuming that he's an unreliable narrator and i don't i don't all i'm saying is i'm with right brian now. in the sense that he could have related he's writing his, his own biography he's writing an autobiography but but he I clarifies don't. every moment like it it's feels true. like he yeah. really is like like journalism it's not yeah. like an artsy thing it he's is like cersei literally just said these words <laughs> i would know because it happened she right now. that section of my book. I'm going to keep it in. Like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like he's reliable. I think it's interesting, though, that he compares his situation to Bluebeard's situation. Because the Bluebeard situation is very... Like, Bluebeard's a bad, like, non-moral person in that story. So he could have compared it to a potentially, I don't know, positive metaphor but instead there are plenty of other mystery stories yeah exactly that, that's and like the, yeah, you like, could open it's up pretty vague yeah and he chose to do the one where the guy has a bunch of dead wives and his yeah i think he's just I'm a saying. weirdo 
I think that's why I did it. I think, well, I think it's a big joke. I think that he likes. <laughs> it's all a big joke. Interested in it. What? That's true. I think, yeah, I, I think, think that, that he likes the attention. I don't think that what's in there is that interesting. I think there's something in there. But I don't think it's that interesting as, like, a dead body. Yeah, I don't Well, what I find so interesting that they keep kind of bringing back around, it seems like this subject matter gets brought up, especially through Cersei, because of the way that she likes to psychoanalyze every mm-hmm. single thing that happens, that a lot of the trauma that's happened around him is when he, like, around him, quote-unquote, has been when he hasn't been around. Like, it's his parents, for instance. They went through a horrific thing mm-hmm. that would cause something to, like cause him to be blue beardy and yeah. you know and and he also has like like i guess he was in the war as well but yeah i, I there hasn't been but anything he says that he was unconscious when he yeah he doesn't he doesn't even recall been hurt like what had happened which I, that could be like a sign of like he went through enough traumatic mm-hmm. you know things to have him black out from it but i feel like there hasn't been a whole lot that that has specifically gone on to being like it's happened to him because like even his friends you know he's talked about the suicide aspect of a lot of his artistic friends but mm-hmm. like i don't know if he was around for it it obviously affected him a lot so i mean they could play into that but i don't know that anything has happened like so directly to him yeah. yet to like cause him to be a psycho serial right murderer yeah. i'm wondering though i mean there I are dark undertones though because there the, are when i continue to talk gregory about all shit, that i was like, like well everything to do with gregory and like his experience there just seems like a dungeon where he got like hazed almost yeah, yeah. and he, so I that's like hazing yeah and it's yeah like he's with uh with, with the servants yeah. and i yeah. think especially the fact that we know that he did like he pushed merrily not not the main character obviously but the gregory pushed merrily down the staircase especially since he knows that i feel like that's part of his story of just being like this guy was like he was like a crazy artist and like a very very real bad like he i don't know there's something that was related to uh raybo because the Mm -hmm. only reason he pushed her down the stairs is because he was directly involved he was sent the art supplies from merrily or merrily Merrily, Merrily, and he was jealous but then at the same time merrily loves Gregory. Yeah. But it's, I don't know. Well, that's the thing is like, in, in talking about all that, I guess there is a lot that has happened. Like, like I said, it's not directly to him, but like a lot of that is pretty traumatic mm-hmm. because even the, the suicide of his friends, like he had mentioned that a lot specifically. And even Cersei's like talking about suicide through, mm-hmm. they had just seen a play, I think in one of the last yep. chapters. And she was like, saw something that's so related to experiences that she and others around her had had. That was like, Oh, it needs to be rewritten. The only like outcome possible is suicide yeah. for this yeah. main character. I did. That's a kind of a side note, but I really have enjoyed the pop culture references because he talks about Dollhouse as the play, which mm-hmm. is a real play. See, um, I don't know. I was about to ask about some of the things that tie into real things. Yeah. Like, I only know a few of the artists that are real, and I don't know which ones are and which ones aren't. But yeah, they talk about Jackson Pollock. Jackson mm-hmm. Pollock, who is, is one real. person that killed himself. Um, who True. killed himself. <laughs> There's somebody else that I recognize that I can't think of. I assumed that most of the artists who aren't, like, real characters, like people who have died, mm-hmm. I assume all of those are real people. Yeah. He um, says in the author's note that <clears throat> Rainbow Karabekian and uh, Terry Kitchen, Cersei, uh, Paul, or Dan Gregory, or Edith, all these people, or any of the other major characters in this book never lived. As for the real and famous persons, I mention I have them do nothing that they did not actually do when tested on this oh, proving ground. There you go. That is helpful. Damn. Read the dang author's note, I know. guys. I did. Well, I, mean, I just immediately Well, that's what I recalled. Well, I recalled it from that. I just, I didn't know, like, because there's still... I don't know who's real. I can't exactly. remember who's real. Yeah. I know True. Jackson Pollock. I just Pollock. know that Jackson Pollock Jackson is, like, Pollock. the main one. <laughs> and that the play Dollhouse is a real play. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. That's True. all. And but so, I like those things. Yeah. Um, oh, he just—I just opened a. There's a lot of pop culture references. Actually, I'm realizing. Like, um, he just talks about Tennessee Williams and the Glass Menagerie. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of. I don't know. There's a lot of that, but I feel like I don't know enough to know what's real and what's not. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> the funny thing of like reading because Vonnegut kind of is of a, a pretty different generation from a lot of more modern authors obviously Kurt Vonnegut when did he pass away 2007 yeah it was it was a decent chunk of time ago and a lot of his famous books were 60s and 70s like it's kind of interesting is this one 80s this one is 80s that's what I thought yeah 
potentially 90s. I think it's like late oh, 80s. We have the we, book yeah. in front Stop of us. Stop speculating. I don't, I don't have the beginning. <laughs> the beginning. Okay. 1987. But it's just interesting to like have a lot of these fictional stories that do have allusions to real things. Mm-hmm. How more complicated reading those stories becomes the older like oh, yeah. the longer away that the books are from like where we are at in the present day because like I don't recognize no. a lot of that stuff I only know I, I'm not that tapped into the art world either I don't know yeah. that's the thing we're reading a book that's like heavily art based <laughs> like do you guys have a lot of experience with that like uh, I go to a lot of art museums so like I there are other names in this that I recognize and I can't think of what they are Jackson Pollock I feel like everyone knows who Jackson Pollock is. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> the splatter guy. Lots yeah, of splatter. I can't remember who, but I can't guy. remember. There was somebody guy. else that he mentioned, too. Classic splatter guy. I know. I need to control F this. I, I don't know. I go to art museums a lot, but and I like abstract impressionism, apparently, oh, which is what topical. this is. <laughs> um, I like modern art, so... That's what I know. He talks about Pablo Picasso at one point. Mm-hmm. He does. I, I knew Pablo. Wasn't he on the list of... He said Pablo. Wait, did, did Pablo Picasso commit suicide? I forget. Was he on that list? No, because Pablo was still alive at this point. Yeah, he wasn't oh, on that list. Because Pablo Picasso lived really long. No way. That's funny. Because um, we, we actually went to a Pablo Picasso <laughs> exhibit uh, last see. year. and Oh, yeah. It was I think it was last year. spring. And mm-hmm. like... To see the years next to all of his artwork That's crazy. was insane. Like the how long game. he was around because he had so many like periods. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, yeah I, he no, wouldn't have been on the list lie. because he'd still be alive. The only reason sport. he was mentioned was because uh, Gregorian hates him. Oh, he hates go. abstract artists, and so he was like, yeah. Pablo Picasso couldn't do yeah. this. He does want the Ooh. realism. It is. Um, speaking of all those things, and just. How? Because you were talking back um, about like what is going to make him a bluebeard character, what's going to whatever. Oh, um, just kidding. Seventy three. Sorry, nineteen seventy three for Pablo Picasso. Oh, but still. But it wasn't suicide. That's, yeah. Okay. That's fair. Oh, really? But he was born in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, that's what it was. It was like eighteen. So he had crossed the. Yeah. Yeah. He crossed the threshold. <laughs> I was just gonna say I forgot about uh, Bezgudinov, uh, Gregory's higher up um, the oh, guy yeah, who yeah. who Gregory was the apprentice for and how kind of psychologically damaging he was and how it's like a cycle and now it's passing on yeah they like mirror each other in a yeah. lot of ways yeah um, so, so for I'm sure looking, that's been passed down yeah. and I'm looking for parallels in those stories and how the two of them like ended and all that good mm-hmm. stuff um this is somewhat unrelated I took some pictures of quotes that I wanted to remember um, but something about his character that I liked of like thinking of the cycles going on. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think that he's relatively self-aware, but at one point Cersei asks him about time travel and is like, would you want to travel back? And a right. quote that I really liked, he says, I want him to believe for as long as possible that he's going to become a great painter and a good father. Talking about himself, right. he's like, I wouldn't travel back. That felt so hard, like his other characters. Like, yeah. I remember that line, and I was like, that feels like slapstick or jailbird narrator. So Wait, much. Say harder. it again. Um, I told her this. I want him to believe for believe for as long as possible that he is going to become a great painter and a good father. Mm. And that is like almost essentially Cat's Cradle's theme too, where it's like, sure, man, you're a great father, you're a great painter. Here's the cat. There's yeah. the cradle. You know, like, and that. So it did I, I remember that part? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I liked that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, uh, and this is getting into a separate thing too. But just talking about some of the uh, parts that I liked, um, as far as the the quotes and and various paragraphs and ideas that he brings up, Vonnegut always tends to, in the midst of his stories, seems to ruminate on some philosophical point, um, and to analyze like why things are miserable seemingly even though he wants to make things not miserable by like making it funny but especially in a book like this where things seem to be a bit more serious some of these points hit a bit harder but when he was talking about you know this is a book about artists one of the parts that hit quite um quite strongly was when he was talking about gifted people in communities that thousands of years ago a lot of these people would be like treasures to their communities, but because the world's so globalized, it can become overwhelming to be like constantly comparing yourself forcefully to 
the the best of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was just like a random point that like related to this, but it also seemed like Vonnegut kind of like airing out a philosophy. And he does that a lot. I feel like mm-hmm. he always brings up these philosophies. And that's one of the reasons I like him so much is he brings in these ideas um, just kind of suddenly that still tangentially relate, but mm-hmm. also makes you think and be like, shit, like, I mean, that does carry a lot of weight for a lot of people. And he's talking about it in the sense of like, that's why like a lot of these artists feel like shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somewhat related. Another quote that I took a picture of that I just really like, and I don't have a ton to say about it other than I want to show it to all of my students. Um, but I think it's Cersei talking, uh, And she says, don't you think that's the main reason people find it so difficult? If they can write complete sentences and can use a dictionary, isn't that the only reason that they find writing hard? That they don't know or care about anything? (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Savage. I do remember that, though. To your students. Well, like, the caring part. I think because, like, all my students are like, I can't write the essay, blah, blah. Like, you know how to write. You know all the words. It's just that you don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, you could do it. Yeah. You just don't care. You need yeah. to get that printed up on, like, one of those, like, motivational yeah. posters. It's <laughs> yes. oh. a good look. But I love that. And I think that that's, that is a philosophy that I think Vonnegut shares often of, like, mm-hmm. if you care about something, you will make it happen. You'll have something to say about yeah. it. So. Yeah. Um, one last thing um, of, of note from, in general, what we've read, uh, and another thing I like about Kurt Vonnegut that makes him unique. I, there are other authors that do this, but I think that he has such a complete um, way of doing this as his characters that cross over. Um, and I don't know uh, if you guys had recalled this, but Rabo Karabekian was actually in another book mm. um do you recall which no. one that is just he another nine? breakfast of champions he was okay. what did he do so he sold everybody's in breakfast of champions. yeah bre- that's true that is like, actually a true that's thing literally vonnegut wrote it mm-hmm. to put all of his characters yeah breakfast yeah. of champions has everyone but i read it so early i think Same. that was my third that like there are other characters that play bigger roles that are in there but yeah he sells a painting that is just like a, That's so it's like some color and then an orange line and then this community yeah. center buys it and they're like everyone's really pissed off that they spent so much money on it and he explains what it is i can't remember what his explanation oh, is but man. he's like it's like unyielding like i don't something about yeah. the line being an unyielding something he makes like it all force. he makes it all like inspirational and everyone immediately is like oh yeah like they God. all get so pleased like oh great buy yeah that's a that's a great, Deep. That's a great picture that's a great picture <laughs> isn't there a piece in this that he's talking about that all it is is just one tone of paint that just that's the entire i, yeah. I think so I think yeah. yeah i think he does mention Modern that as well. uh, baby let's go also related uh i love the abstract metaphor of his most famous painting that destroyed itself we didn't talk about that. Yeah, the I was going to bring that up. Satine oh, or whatever right. paint that like melted it the just, canvas. Like, falls off the canvas. I love that so much. <laughs> to compete with or last longer than Mona Lisa's smile. Yeah, yeah. and then, then it just yeah. completely destroys itself. I think that that's beautiful. I don't know what about <laughs> that I find so beautiful. But I do. I bet the potato barn is full of just cans of that paint. Because <laughs> remember, he had so be. much of it. Oh, uh, that's yeah. true. Could be. It gets brought up many times. I know that that phrase of what it, the paint is called specifically yeah. gets said more than like any other phrase. Mm-hmm. That's why. Yeah. Um, well, I think for now uh, we've covered a lot of some general Vonnegut thoughts and whatever else. So I think that this would be a good time to just kind of go through final thoughts, any potentially predictions for what you think is going to happen in the back half, mm-hmm. what you what you like about it so far if you're liking it so far if not because it's always interesting to kind of compare uh the first half to back half so we'll just kind of go around and and uh, share those final thoughts uh i am i am really enjoying it like i said i haven't read a full vonnegut book in a in a while um and and i think that for a minute i got in a slump where i started vonnegut books and i couldn't finish them just because i've been stressed with life and always busy with being an adult 
Um, and I just like kept not finishing. Like Sirens of Titan, I've read the first half of that book three times. Me too, actually, specifically yeah. that one. I don't know, like, and I like the first half mm-hmm. of it. But That's I like an all timer for actually, some people. Actually, I think I finished that. I think it was Jailbird. I did it three times. <laughs> Jailbird, you did. Yep. Yeah. Um, I remember you telling me you finished Sirens. Mm-hmm, I yeah, did. I still haven't finished Sirens of Titan. I pushed through. Um, that one is like I think there are tears to Vonnegut and there's like a top three but like there are some that are like underground well regarded I think Sirens is one of those yeah yeah. Um, but I am really enjoying it and I, I feel like this book has reminded me why I like him mm-hmm. so much there's something so easy uh, like it's easily readable but still feels like there's so much substance to it um, which I think is refreshing uh, as compared to some of the things that people think have substance and are really difficult to read and are boring. Um, so I'm enjoying it. I Danny just immediately <laughs> looked at me. Uh, yeah, Brian, that sounded on brand. <laughs> Brian likes things that are difficult to read, and, but people think that they have substance. Uh. <laughs> but, but people think not confirmed yet people. if there's actual information to be gleaned it's unclear whether or not they I are substantial <laughs> you're being attacked uh, those are my final thoughts I guess that's it I like it I'm excited to see what happens yeah I'm gonna say similar things I like it I think it's a different voice than he has in a lot of the books that I've been reading recently and it is kind of like Danny what you were saying earlier it seems more novellic it seems more like something that you can just read from front to back as opposed to literal time travel and multiple universes (laughs) going on and other little sci-fi things um yeah I'm interested to see what like he pushes at the end because Cat's Cradle was similar feeling in my opinion from mm-hmm. a narration standpoint and I feel like he did like push a theme at the end especially pretty hard and so I'm interested to see that with this but I think it'll be cool I don't know if the potato barn is going to be a joke or not I really don't I'm with you I don't know <laughs> yeah, now if I'm, it's going to be a concerned. fucking joke I'm calling I'm, it I'm, now guys because Kurt Vonnegut is like the OG anti-joke guy and yeah. it's just yeah. not going to be funny if it's like empty this or like I don't know more serious I know and that's why I'm like though. let's not pull the punch Vonnie let's so see what we got so I don't know Bonnie that's all I got <laughs> Bonnie I don't know I don't know if I honestly I don't know if I could say that I like or dislike any book by Vonnegut I don't have any I don't that's not to say that I don't oh, have feelings fence. about them yeah <laughs> keep going on the fence <laughs> just the one um I, mean, I really like to be fair Cersei. though like it's not unexpected like you've you've already had the sentiments previously mm-hmm. like it just I think it's just the tone of like his tone is just for some people because I know like other people that just don't like his stuff as much I'll say for I don't the think record, that you're necessarily on like a I hate Vani right no I I'm really Vani. not but yeah, I maybe. I I'm really my, I think my favorite character is Cersei I, she's like imposing in a lot and I'm a fan and I'm she really curious that. what happened like she's just a little bit not like like no nonsense and just kind of in, like imposing and like um like she just changed his whole house <laughs> and i'm just really curious where that's gonna go like i want to know what she ends up doing what he ends up doing uh in relation to her um yeah i think for this book it, it has been really surprising because like you were saying that there's a similar tone to cat's cradle and i agree to a degree mm-hmm. where I feel like the structure of the chapters feels very similar and, and certain things like that. But to me, with Cat's Cradle and with some of the other ones, like Kurt Vonnegut has employed like catchphrases also. Like where it, again, it makes it have this more goofy feeling. Mm-hmm. Like That's so, fair. it goes for Slaughterhouse Five and like busy, 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 and Cat's Cradle mm-hmm. and things like that, and and tying it into these like he kind of shoehorns them in, but they're done in a comedic way. It doesn't feel like it's a forced thing necessarily, but this one it. it it's the first time I think in a, in a Vonnegut book that it just feels like it's just kind of a straight story. Yeah. And I think I got that a little bit in mother night as well. Uh, Cause that one carries a similar tone, but mm-hmm. it has the absurdity uh, for people that don't know about the theme of that is where it's a guy who's, being a double agent but both sides think that he's being a double agent for the other <laughs> essentially like it, it still carries this absurdity through that but yeah. this doesn't really have any this of those things yeah. it, do, it doesn't pull mm. in any direction and I think that that's really unique and I almost think that like I'm not expecting a joke at the end I'm not expecting I any of that I, I kind of am expecting it to just be like kind of sad in all yeah. honesty I kind of am too and what's 
I definitely see that, like, because I think Kurt Vonnegut does a great job in general of, like, inserting, like, comedic things here and there in even a serious tone, but still does it that way. But in this book, I feel like it's, like, it's either a pop of laughter that naturally just happened because of the plot, or mm. it's not there. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm with you. I hope it's not a freaking joke, dude, <laughs> but who knows? Yes. Well, they were just being dragged into sincerity yeah. just to be dropped off a cliff. Well, the, the other thing... Who knows? <laughs> the, the other thing that is interesting to me, and this is just something through personal experience, but uh, my brother-in-law, who we've all met, but for anybody on that... You know, doesn't know him. He's not in our general. Everybody else <laughs> listening. listening. Our, our general social circle. So, so Get he he has read every Kurt Vonnegut book, every, like every single one, and this is his favorite. Whoa! He very definitively said that this is the one. And I have and, a lot of feelings about that. And, and my brother-in-law <laughs> is the type of guy, in all honesty, to like find a favorite Vonnegut book and the one that carries the most sincere feelings I yeah, think okay. I, can I could Corey see it too yeah. it I could see it too I so, hope so so I think that that is also kind of making my expectations travel in the way that they are mm-hmm. but regardless I I really like that having read this much of of his work because you know i there's not a lot of authors that i've read this many books of theirs but for this one to be this different and to be from somebody who's traditionally kind of goofy regardless of how serious he also is it makes it feel kind of like a special uh experience in that way so i'm curious but my my thought right now uh, going into the second half is that it's going to be sad yeah (laughs) i'd kind of be okay with it though yeah i think i would would like a sad a sad yeah. ending. I like a sad book. Yeah, I mean, I'd be totally I could take glad. a melancholy. I could like, take a melancholy. <laughs> or like, I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. So, regardless, uh, we will be back. Um, who knows? We'll do a second half whenever that is. We'll all plan it together. Um, we kind of talked about this. I don't know if we're announcing the last three books. Are we at that point, or we can save it till next time? Oh no, let's. Well, did we decide? We had our shortlist. I think we're all okay with what the shortlist we're coming down to. Yeah, I'll go last. Okay. You want to go first? Yeah, my pick is um, Northwest by um, Zadie Smith. Yeah, and I have not read any Zadie Smith, so I'm. I've read White Teeth, um, but yeah, I've had Northwest on my bookshelf for a long time, and I don't know, thought it would be a good opportunity. And my pick is going to be <laughs> A Chew by <laughs> Andrew Sykes. <laughs> my Mo- favorite book. Modern art. <laughs> modern art. <laughs> Um, Rainbow, is that you? <laughs> my my pick is going to be uh, Vineland by Thomas Pynchon. Um, oh, surprisingly <laughs> enough, on the author that one is uh, is a lot of people's least favorite of his. It's one I have not read yet. Great lead in. Um, <laughs> I'm curious because so, everybody wait. hates it. Not everybody. There are some Brian people. Brian is the only one who has read Pynchon at this table, and I don't think that's why Andrew he's pronouncing has. it so pretentiously. No, um, and so. He is introducing us to one of his favorite authors by having us read his worst book. Some people really like it, it's though. It's so. a strategy. Someone call this hazing. <laughs> I would call this hazing. I, I did get it on record, though. I don't know if this is still the case, but Danny said if she reads a pinch-on book and it's the worst one and she doesn't like it, then she would still read a second one. Oh, so. Did I say that? You, you did why did you commit that? to this, this, was, <laughs> this was two margaritas <laughs> deep, though. Silver, yeah, exactly. Oh, I was two margaritas deep. Game over. But she did say that. I so. don't. I don't remember. So regardless, uh, Vineland. That'll be. I. I've read six of his eight novels, and so that'll be my seventh. Stop. But I'm hoping to uh, get to the end there. Uh, do you remember yours? No, I do. In the in this moment right now, I'm still between two. Why don't you say those, and then you can pick later. Okay. Uh, my choice will either be Jitterbug Perfume by Tom Robbins. Or Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Those are my options. I don't know. I'm here's the thing. I think that I think Danny's vote is Jitterbug Perfume, and I think Brian's vote is Underground Railroad. Oh, I think that's true. And I um, (laughs) bring it on. I would like to read both. They were both my choice. All right, rock paper scissors right now on (laughs) the pod. On the the pod. We're doing live here. (laughs) Rock paper scissors live on a podcast. We have to. (laughs) You can hear by the. That's paper. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So uh, the big reveal. Andrew, do you want to choose for us? 
What are the two? It's Jitterbug or the other... What's Jitterbug it? Perfume or By Underground Tom Robbins. Railroad. Do you know anything about nope, either nope, of those? Nope, I don't want to even see... Yeah, I want you to choose off of the title. This is Railroad. interesting. Underground Railroad. This is exactly. Okay. Oh, Underground Railroad. That's right, baby. <laughs> He does it with the crisp money. Our crispy book is Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. I feel it's money. <laughs> Turns out Danny didn't want that one. <laughs> uh, so yeah, those oh, will be God. that'll be the back half of the podcast, uh, quote unquote back half, because back half. We, we may continue. This is continuing for the rest of our anyway, lives. <laughs> Danny's moving ten minutes away, so. So podcast every week. Nightly podcast. Nightly <laughs> podcast. Everyone buckle up. Uh, so, um, hope you're ready for some media. <laughs> so, to end out the podcast with our special guest, we are going to do something we haven't done in a while. Uh, we're going to have uh, a sing out. It's tradition for people to scat. We usually have a scat ending. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so if you could. If you've heard my scatting, you wouldn't be nervous. How does it go, though? Do I just. No, you, you just scat. scat, dude. Just me or all of us? No, it's just, just you. Scooby Doo, Scat, 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 Scat,